Rob Cartledge of robcartledgeministries.com. Titus 2.1 says, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Multitudes of professed Christians around the globe are perplexed when it comes to doctrine and clearly articulating their faith. Because of this lack of understanding, many Christians are believing the most absurd and heretical beliefs. And due to this, we have seen an incredible increase of cultish views even inside of mainstream churches. This series, Critical Doctrine, is to confront this dilemma with clear and precise teaching on the basic foundational doctrines of our faith. We're going to do another sermon in the Critical Doctrine series because last week we got sort of halfway through the scriptures that I was talking about with uh, the second coming of Christ. So I just wanted to sort of pursue that a bit more. And I think it's important because that's what we are... That's what the blessed hope is, is the, in the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's worth dwelling a little bit longer in this. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, this time now. And Lord, I just pray that you really do just sort of do something in us right now. Help us to um, really get something from what is about to be preached. I pray that you really open our eyes, that you keep us alert to the words that you, you want to say to us and help uh, us to understand these things, these truths about your second coming so that we can take part in that blessed hope that, uh, that your word tells us that, and you yourself said that you are going to return. We are living in the season of your return. I truly believe that and I pray that you would uh, reveal to us more and more insights into this and that you would help us to stay uh, alert and be watchful just as your word says so that this day will not come on us unexpectedly but that we'll be watching and we won't be like the foolish virgins but we will be prepared prepared for your coming and that we'll prepare others for your coming also as we tell others about uh, the truth about you and about the gospel and that you'll soon return so I just pray that you guide us now and direct uh, this sermon, and I hand it over to the Holy Spirit to work through me by His mighty power. Amen. 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 Okay, so it's the second coming uh, of Christ, part two. In the last section of the whole Christology series, uh, the future ministry of Christ. And the overview of this is the second coming. This is all just part of that one uh, element of the future ministry. Uh, the rapture of the church, which is uh, something that we're going to look at in coming weeks. I just heard an incredible sermon on the on the rapture. Uh, Joe Schimmel presented. Um, it's his latest podcast, and I really advise you all to have a listen to that. It's amazing stuff what he brings up there, and he's put a lot of thought and effort into the rapture and understanding whether it's pre, mid, or post, and uh, and it's a very very valid message and something that I believe all Christians should really listen to because without it we can be falsely deluded into thinking it's going to happen at a time when the word of God tells us clearly it does not happen so uh, we'll take a look at that as well also the wrath of the lamb during the tribulation we'll, we're going to study that going to go get some insight into it also his millennial reign there's a lot of different concepts or doctrines on the his millennial reign whether he will be with us for the thousand years or whether he'll be with us, he'll return after that and so on. But it's pretty clear in Scripture. It's, it's cut and dry for me. I don't know why they got it mixed up. Also, his everlasting reign. We're going to talk about that. That's forever and ever and ever and when we're going to be in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And Just some insights into that according to Scripture. 
So the second coming, and we're just going to continue on with this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 said, And give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. If you just take that little section out there, it says, And he will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And when will he give us relief? This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. A lot of people expect the relief in this life. They expect that the troubles and the hardships, the persecutions and sufferings and all that is going to be relieved here. And if it doesn't get relieved here, they stop believing in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if you remember my sermon a few weeks ago uh, on suffering, a lot of uh, people have turned from Christianity to atheism because they couldn't understand why God allows suffering. But it says here clearly, it will happen, this relief will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. When Jesus returns, we're going to be pretty clear that it's Jesus. It's going to, he's going to flash from the east to the west like lightning. Every eye will see him. No one's going to be going, oh, did you hear that Jesus was came the other day? It's going to be like pretty well, if there's a roof, the roof will be exposed for what it is. It's just matter in Jesus' eyes. So he'll just remove the roof so that we can see Jesus. Every eye will see Jesus. No one will be exempt. And how will he look? He's going to be blazing fire. Blazing fire. He's not going to look like the mild-mannered Jesus of the first century. He's going to be revealed for who he is. God, powerful, blazing fire. And he's going to have a host of angels with him. It's going to be the most magnificent thing you're ever going to see. Now, Satan might try to pull off a copycat of that, I suppose, you know. He could never make it look like that. He couldn't make it look like blazing fire with powerful host of angels behind him. He might do something with some super technology. He might come in on his own and and reveal, I am Jesus, and everyone will sort of bow the knee to him. Like a hologram. Like even a hologram or even using anti-gravity technology and, and fly in on some sort of invisible craft and reveal himself that way. But you know what? How can it simile that? If he's not in blazing fire and if he's not flashing from the east and the west like, like that and a host of angels with him and if the church isn't being raptured up to him at that moment and if the dead aren't rising from their graves at that moment, he is not Jesus. It's as simple as that and that's how we know because we study these scriptures that reveal this. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says, And then at that time the lawless one will be revealed. The law, who's the lawless one? Satan, the Antichrist, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. His, the splendor of his coming will destroy him. And how will Jesus beat him in a fight? He's, he's just going to breathe. <laughs> you know, He's not going to put up his fists or he's not going to pick up a sword. He's not going to have to do any of that. Just breathe and Satan will be destroyed. Because we're talking, we, this is God. He can click his fingers and the earth will just disintegrate into nothing if he chose to. He would never do that, but he could. Right? That's the power of our God. He will breathe and destroy all opposition. And that's amazing. That just, just shows how incredibly almighty he is. And how anyone in their right mind could come up against Satan, uh, sorry, against God, <laughs> you know, on earth, you shouldn't come up against Satan either. You shouldn't 
You stand against him by the power of the blood of Jesus, but you don't take him on in a fight. You just stand against him and you resist him and he flees. That's what you do. You resist him. Resist his temptations. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 3, and it says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, concerning the coming. He's talking straight directly about that. And our being gathered to him. And out, so this is now the rapture he's talking about. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. And then he says this, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. That's the Antichrist. And, and this, these pre-tribulation preachers will tell you that the church won't be on earth when the lawless one is revealed. But this scripture clearly says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the lawless one is revealed, until the Antichrist is revealed. So unless we see the Antichrist, don't expect the coming of Jesus. That's why the imminent return of Christ, it can't be just any moment like they teach in some churches. Oh, he could come today. No, he can't. The lawless one hasn't been revealed. So don't let anyone deceive you that he could suddenly come today. He can't come today because there's unfulfilled scripture. He can't come until all these things are fulfilled. Jerusalem's got to be surrounded by armies, the nations of the earth. There's things that have to take place, and we might even do a sermon on what must take place before Jesus comes. The mark of the beast hasn't come. Jesus can't return until after these things are fulfilled. If he comes now, then like I said last time, there's how many unfulfilled prophecies are there? There's countless unfulfilled prophecies if he comes right now. So that's a good sermon we might do soon is how, what must take place before Jesus returns. So we can do a countdown on it. You know, oh, this thing has happened. It just happened last week. Bang, we can tick it off. One of the things that had to happen, and this is why anyone who said that Jesus was going to return in past centuries did not know the Scriptures because Israel had to be reformed as a nation. He had to gather his people from the four corners of the earth and bring them back to his nation, Israel. That's happened. We've seen Israel restored. That's one of the... Uh, to me, most convincing proof that the Bible's true is Israel is now a nation. It's amazing stuff. You know, 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 15, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life uh, to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. So until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does this, what does this scripture tell us to do? Flee from all this. And the things that he was talking about prior to that was all these ungodly things and sinful behaviours that we had to flee from. And then he said, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Pursue all those things. So we have to really pursue them. If we're not pursuing them, it's very easy not to pursue them too. It's very easy to wake up in the morning, forget about pursuing all those things and just enter into a day with bitterness and anger and resentment and all that sort of stuff. But we've got to live each day pursuing these good qualities until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a good bit of advice.
from Paul there. 2 Timothy 4, 1-2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge everyone. And in view of his appearing and his, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is what we're supposed to do. He's now telling us clearly, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's what we're called to do. We're called to, uh, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, we are called to uh, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. You know, when uh, Jesus went to the fig tree, I think that was a, a really good analogy of this. He went to the fig tree and he, he cursed it because there was no figs on it. But then the, the word says that it wasn't even in season. But he did that as a representative. Of, you've, got to, you've got to have fruit all year round. And if you look at the, the trees of life in, in the uh, garden of God in, in heaven, along the river of life, it has, it has 12 fruits bearing 12 crops, uh, one for each month of the year. So we've, in a sense, we've got to keep bearing fruit. We've got to keep studying the word and keep on producing fruit all year round. That way we're prepared in season and out of season. Or in a sense, you'd be, you're in season all year round. Yeah. You know, that's what you're trying to do. 2 Timothy 4.8 Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but, to, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Who longs for his appearing? Yeah, I long for his appearing. I can't wait for Jesus to appear, just to put an end to this system of things. And if you are longing for his appearing, there's a crown of righteousness awaiting you. And I want to receive that crown. I'd love to get to heaven and Jesus says, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's a crown. You longed for my appearing. Long for his appearing. And all the more as you see the, the day approaching. And pray. It says, speed his coming. Speed his coming. Pray for his return. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, we've got to pray for his kingdom to come. And that was one of the, that's in the Lord's Prayer, that we've got to pray daily for his kingdom to come. Titus 2.12 says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Hear that? To live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope which is the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That is our blessed hope, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Yeah. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He's going to appear. He's going to appear. Who's getting this today? You know, who feels that God's very close, even right at the door? We're not told to date set, are we? we there is no date that I can give for his coming. It would be crazy to give it. Anyone who does is... You know, got a screw loose because the word of God clearly tells us that there are times and oh, the dates you will not know. However, we are told the season of his coming. He makes it very clear in scripture what it will look like. And there could be another sermon there, what what it looks like before Jesus returns, you know, what the world will look like. And we're if actually if you just look at our world, there it is. 
it's got all the elements that are required for the world to be in the state that it's meant to be in before Jesus returns. The thing that's going to cause Jesus to to uh, come back. He's going to say, enough's enough, I'm coming. You know? But he still can't return until certain things take place. And he's not coming back to bear sin because he's done that. He's coming back to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. How many Christians do you know say, I'm Christian, but I don't believe in church? Who says that? Yeah. I've heard that. And my answer to them is, I'm going to live for what Jesus died for. And he died for the church. I'm going to live for the church because that's what he died for. And that's the reason for his coming was to form the church. And if any Christian can think that they can live a solo Christian life, they're kidding themselves because Christianity is a community event. It's not a solo event. We are called the body of Christ, not a, you know, a single appendage. You know, can a finger live without the body? If you cut the finger off and throw it over in the corner, will it live? Hasn't got a heart of its own, has it? The body is, has to be together to survive. And that's why we're called the body of Christ. And Jesus wanted to make that clear by calling us that. You know, so once we get that, then Christians should come out of, the, come out of their closets, in a sense, and get back into fellowship. Okay, there's troubles in fellowship. Of course, there always will be, but we've got to keep meeting together. Hebrews 3.7, For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. In just a little while, he's going to come and he won't delay. James 5, 7 to 9. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. We've got to be patient in these days. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against each other. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Yeah, we all grumble. But uh, the Lord's coming is near. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. He's going to come and it's in these last days. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. 1 Peter 2.12, live such God, good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. These are all words that they're, they're right throughout Scripture, they're over and over again. They're encouraging us to do right, to do good, to uh, be prepared to preach in season, to preach out of season, to um, tell people the Lord is coming, even though they'll say, yeah, well, he's been saying that, you guys have been saying that for 2,000 years. And we know the scripture where it says, and I'm going to read that in a, in a little bit. But the fact is, he's coming. And we've got to get our minds around it. Who feels like they could stand up and when, if Jesus came today, that he, could, he would say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and enter into my rest. 
well done, you've been so, you've lived for me, you've prayed to me continually, you've read the Bible, you've preached to others, you've told people. Who, who could say that if Jesus came right now and stood before you, that you would feel confident that he would be satisfied with the way you've lived your Christian life? Yeah? Because if you've got any doubts in that, that's how you've got to live your day, every day. You've got to live as if he's coming today, even though we know he can't because there's certain things that must take place. But you've got to live as if, well, he could in a sense that if you died today, you'd be there with him and you'd be immediately thrust into his presence and you'd have to give an account. So change your life today so that you can bring him as much glory so that when you get there, you won't be ashamed. You know, Paul was, had, had lived such a strong life in Christ that when at the end of his life, he longed for death. He longed to just enter in, into the presence of the Lord. You know, he knew he was going to get a reward. He even said, I know I'm, I'm, I'm waiting my reward that is going to, going to be handed to me on that day. Because he was confident. He could look over his life and he could see a life lived completely sold out to Jesus. He lived and breathed. Every second of his day was for Jesus. There was no time for Paul. It was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus for the whole of his uh, latter life. And he could long to see that time when Jesus would come. You know, I, I know now if, if Jesus came, I'd be happy to see him. I'd be like, you know, I couldn't wait to see him. But I know that I'll be found wanting. I'd be found short in so many things. I want to change those things. Mm. I want to see my Lord glorified while I live so that when I get to his presence, when I get into his presence, I can be confident that he will be pleased with me. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. So live your life like that. Live each day to see that your Lord is pleased with you. If you can say at the end of one day, I believe that my Lord's pleased with me today, the way I live this day, then do it again the next day. Make a habit of it. You know what I'm saying? Right, 1 Peter 4.13 But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice that you may participate in the sufferings. That's an interesting scripture, isn't it? Who rejoices when they suffer? Who suffered and actually sat there going, great, I'm suffering? That someone would be rejoicing when they're in suffering? I've read accounts of martyrs in the, in the early centuries, in the first three centuries, and there was one guy, I can't remember his name now, he desired so desperately to suffer for Jesus that when he was finally grabbed by the Roman Empire and he was about to be thrown to the lions, he was just couldn't wait to get out there and be mauled by the lions. He was actually he couldn't wait for his, uh, his body. He, he was he's talking about himself like he was going to be wheat ground into flour type of stuff. And he was just so eager to be out there to, be, to suffer for Christ at the hands of the Roman Empire. It's a, it's a sort of an attitude that is pretty foreign today, except in certain countries where there's great persecution. Of course, and I'm sure most of them really don't want to be persecuted. But there's a few that get it spiritually enough to the point where they could see that they could actually rejoice mm-hmm. at that level. Yeah. But it's just the scripture I'm just putting out there for you guys to, uh, to consider. Because you've got to think of suffering like this. The way you can rejoice is every blow, every you know, 
persecution, every little thing that comes against you is building a treasure in heaven. And it's like you're seeing, you know, if you're getting mauled by lying, you're seeing it, the credits just rolling up there, you know, you're just building treasure and you know that when I get there, there's going to be a fortune waiting for me because I'm suffering now. So that little bit of suffering now is worth this great fortune that you will receive. 1 Peter 5.4 And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When he appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade. (coughs) Who wants that crown? Yeah? I'm sure every head should nod, really. Half your head's nodded. (laughs) Our passion has got to be lifted and we've got to stir ourselves to a deeper devotional life. You know, and all the more, it says, all the more as we see this day approaching, as Jesus comes, all the more stir ourselves to a deeper passion. Stir ourselves to desire a crown in heaven more than a nice dress from, you know, Supra or something. I don't know who, I don't know what all girls' shops are. Well, Vina and the girls tend to go there a bit. But you know what I mean? If someone offered you a, a Ferrari right now, and there's a beautiful Ferrari, and you're just sitting there drooling over it, and then it says, you can have the Ferrari, but you won't receive the crown in heaven. You know? How many Christians would probably go, oh, oh gee, that's actually there. I can't see this thing. <laughs> but I can see that, and I'll have it. In your hearts, you might go, oh, no, no, I'd never take a Ferrari Let's put ourselves in the real life situation where the Ferrari's sitting there before us with all its glimmer. And the keys are just dangling. Here you go. Yeah. Yet you if you take it, it's like it's like selling your soul. Satan tried to do that to Jesus, he rejected it. You know, too many of us, rather than read the Bible, will turn on the TV. Too many of us, and I'm not saying this to give you guilt trips, I'm saying this because this reality, every last one of us suffers by it and it's got to change. Jesus is coming. And I believe in 2012 we're going to see in these coming months some terrible things taking place. We've already seen a a huge amount of terrible things. Just because we live in a city where these things don't seem to happen, man, you look around the rest of the world, there's crazy stuff going on. There's wars and revolutions going on everywhere you look. Terrible natural disasters and um, just things that are taking place overseas. Economic collapses. People are starving in countries. They've lost their houses. They're living in their cars or living in old dumps of buildings and stuff just to survive. And it's all happening. We're somehow, here in Australia, we're sort of exempt from it all. And therefore, we have a very slack attitude towards God very sleepy attitude. It's sort of like, take it or leave it. If I don't read the Bible one day, I don't care. I'll read it tomorrow. She'll be right, mate. She'll be right, mate. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, pray. Yeah, I, I prayed five minutes. You know, that'll be enough. Passion, man. We've got to get some passion. I'm up here trying my hardest to express this passion, but we have to embrace the passion. And I'm saying it for your benefit simply because one day our king will stand before you, or should I say you will stand before him and you will have to give an account and you'll look back and hear my words and he will say, it wasn't because Rob didn't tell you, because he told you, he confronted you in it. 
when he when he found out that you haven't read the Bible in like five days straight, when he found out that you weren't praying, he encouraged you to do it. He did it for your benefit, but your attitude towards it wasn't embracing it. He didn't embrace it. All these things are for ben- our benefit so that we can stand before him on that day and be, he, he will say, well done. And that should be the driving force of your life, shouldn't it? Should be the thing that you live for, should be the thing that is the biggest catalyst and motivation, should be everything to us. Because one day, you know, it's going to be reality. And I'll ask this question, and I want to see a true show of hands. Who believes Jesus is coming? Who believes he's going to judge you? Who believes that he's going to judge you independently without your parents' support, without anyone's support, just you? Yeah? So what I'm saying, is it true? Is every word of it true? Who believes you're going to have to give an account of every word that you know is true and haven't acted on? Who believes they're going to give an account of that? Show of hands, clear show of hands. If it's in the Word of God, it's true. Who believes that when Jesus returns, that he's going to hold you accountable to your prayer life? I believe it. If you don't believe it, that's fine. That's your, your choice. But I believe it. He's going to hold you accountable for your prayer life. Who believes he's going to hold you accountable to how you treated his Word that he gave you as a precious gift? I'm talking about the Bible. Who believes that one day he will say, why did you read my Bible so little? If you did, if you read it little, who believes that? He he gave us a book, guys. He gave us a textbook to life. It, it, without it, we couldn't be Christian. And I know a lot of so-called Christians that never read the Bible, and when you talk to them, their minds are completely twisted. They don't know the scriptures, and when you talk to them about simple, basic doctrines of the faith of the Bible, they don't know what you're talking about. But they still claim to be Christian. We don't want to be one of those. We want to know that we've been diligent, diligent in our study of the Word, so that we can, you know, we can clearly and accurately discern the times. Because it says those that are watching will be able to tell the time and the season and the day of His return. 1 John 2.28, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Has that just confirmed what I've said? Has that confirmed it? Continue in him so that when he appears you may be confident. You want to be confident before him. That's why Paul was so, so hard on the churches in his letters. That's why when you read the word of God sometimes it can be really in your face. It can be really hard. And you, don't, and you want to be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Dear friends, this is 1 John 3, 2. Now we are like children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. See, if you have this hope, you'll be made pure. Because if you have that hope and it's truly set in your heart and that hope is in you, you won't stop reading the Bible and you won't stop praying. If the hope's not in you, you will stop praying and you will stop reading the Bible. So that's the way to gauge whether you're, uh, you're in Christ. Is Does this hope exist in you from day to day? Is it the concern of your daily life? 
Jude one fourteen, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. He said, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's coming to judge. Revelation 1.4, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from whom who is, who was, and who is to come. And Revelation 1.7, look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. This is what we said before, every eye will see him. What does that mean? Anything that's going to inhibit your ability to view him will be removed. So those that are in the deepest dungeons, will the matter above them will be removed so they can see the Lord. Every eye will see him and even those who pierced him, meaning those that are dead, will raise and or will be able to, even from death, will be able to see the Lord. So in death where they exist right now, the earth that's above them will open up. The matter will be removed so they can even see him. That's pretty all-fathoming, isn't it? All-encompassing. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Everyone will mourn. Who believes it's better to mourn now in the way of mourn our sinful state and get right with God and change now than to have the Lord come and then mourn because he's come? Yeah, I believe it's much better to get it over and done with now. Get the rebuke from your pastor today. Straighten your life up today so that when he comes we can rejoice with him rather than mourn because he's come and then every word that's ever been said that's encouraged you to live for him comes back dawning on you in you and you're going, man, I should have listened. Man, I should have listened. You'd be begging, Lord, please go back and give me another year, just another year so I can devote myself, so I can preach the word in season and out of season, so I can tell others about him even if they spit in my face, so that I can read the Bible and get to know it like the back of my hand and memorize as many scriptures as I can so that's on the tip of my tongue every time I talk to someone about the Lord, so that I can pray for my loved ones with tears so I can desperately cry out to you to do something so my loved ones won't go to hell. You would wish... The Lord will go back and come a year later if you're in that place. So do it now so that you can rejoice with those who rejoice at his coming. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 3.11, he tells us again, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. If you don't have anything yet, get it. (laughs) Claim it now. But get it in your heart so that no one will take your crown. If there's a crown in store for you, don't let anyone take it from you. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and never again will he leave it. Him who overcomes. And we've got to ask the question, how do we overcome? And I believe it's these things I'm talking about today. We've got to overcome the sinful nature which makes us not want to do godly things. We've got to overcome the sinful nature that pulls us, tugs us to go and do all the things that we know are the things that we shouldn't be doing and in place of the things that we should be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's overcoming. And just the last of the New Testament scriptures, he says, Behold, I come like a thief in Revelation sixteen fifteen. Blessed is he who stays awake. And keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Mm. And what is, when he talks about being clothed, you've got to be clothed in righteousness. Mm. 
be clothed in righteousness. And if to get clothed in righteousness, you've got to be a prayer warrior. You've got to be a, a Bible, Bible moth, as they call John Wesley. They called him the Bible moth because he'd eat his, eat his Bibles. <laughs> yeah. But he comes like a thief, so stay awake. If you knew a thief was coming tonight to your house, would you stay awake? <laughs> you would. Yeah, you'd stay away with the shocker. <laughs> Be sitting there with a Greek shocker. Would you stay away? <laughs> yeah, I would. Would you stay away? I would. <laughs> I can imagine he's coming at one o'clock at five to one. Oh my god. Put the safety on first. <laughs> yeah. But Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'll give to everyone according to what he has done. Here it is. His reward is with him, and he's going to give to everyone according to what he has done. Be terrible to have that day come, and he goes, "What have you done?" And you go, Not much. <laughs> "I think I prayed for." little lady down the street once <laughs> you don't want to really be in that situation you want to be able to say oh, well I've done this you know I've got a, a list of things that I've done for the Lord and his reward will be in accordance with what you've done that's for the for the saved for those that are saved there's a reward for the unsaved they don't get a reward they don't get anything they just get thrown into the lake of burning sulfur but for those that believe they are judged according to what they've done and how they've treated people as Christians, you know, and how often they've repented of their lack of lack of doing, if you know what I mean. Revelation twenty two twenty to twenty one. He says, "He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. He's coming soon. And I'm just going to skip. I've got all these Old Testament scriptures I was going to read." But I'm going to read this one. And I think it's important that you hear this. Isaiah 66, 22 to 24. This is the last, this is the very last part of Isaiah in the whole book. It says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Now he's talking about after judgment. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. So when you're in heaven, for eternity, you're going to be able to go to a place, and I've said it quite a few times in this church, a viewing platform in heaven where you can see into hell. And Lazarus was looking into hell with uh, Abraham, wasn't he, in the parable uh, to the rich man who was in hell. He could view the rich man in hell. And you'll be able to go to that platform and look upon those that have rebelled against God. And I always ask the question, why is there a place like that in heaven? I thought he's wiping away every tear because a place like that would have to bring a tear to the eye, wouldn't it? Because you'd see certain people you knew on earth, people that, you know, you loved, and you would be able to view them in hell. 
I believe that even in heaven, God wants to ensure that in all eternity, no one ever sins again. You know, because remember, Satan was a creature who was one of the greatest creatures God ever created. He was in the presence of God. He was a cherubim. That means he was right there in the face of God. And he had sin. They found imperfection in him. They found sin in him. So I believe this viewing platform's in heaven for a simple purpose, that if there's even the slightest inclination to rebel against God, you just go and stand there for half a day. You know? Sort of time out in heaven. <laughs> you know, go and have a look at those that have died. I'm not sure if they can see us, but whether there's ability to communicate with them or... I don't know whether that would... It, whether that would uh, ease their suffering even a moment. Just to be able to communicate with someone might ease their suffering just a minute bit, and I don't in think that would be allowed. Yeah. In the parable, but, but we're talking about prior to yeah. Lake of Burning Sulphur. Because there's, the, there's hell on earth, which they believe is an earth, and hell is taken and thrown into the Lake of Burning Sulphur, along with death, and along with the beast and the false prophet and all those. That's all in the book of Revelation. So it's another level of of hell, if you'd like to. But yeah, scripturally, he was able to talk to the rich man, but I don't know whether that's going to be the case yeah. forever and ever. 2 Peter 3.3, 3, it says, first of all, and I said this last week as well, I read this to you last week, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. And I've heard people say that to me. Oh, you Christians always say it's coming. No, it's not coming. We've never seen it. I think it was Matthew many about a year ago said he's only going to come once. You know, so it's only going to happen once. But I love the way Peter answers this question. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So this whole earth and everything we have now is going to be destroyed by fire after that day. And then everything will be made new. So if you want to check out the world as it stands today, you better start doing some world trips just to <laughs> see all the sites because those sites are all going to be destroyed in days to come. And uh, the key to that scripture is the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient. It's grace to us that the Lord hasn't come. It's grace to the world that the Lord has not come yet. It's so that they have a chance to get themselves right with God. So they have a chance to stop rebelling against God and get right with God. And that's what we've got to remember. And that should be your answer when anyone ever says that. He's not slow. You should just say he's not slow in keeping his promises. But he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Because he's going to come and he surely is going to come. The word of God says it. And, and I'm more convinced of uh, if the word of God says it, no man can tell me otherwise. And that should be our attitude as well. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this sermon. I just pray that it's, it's gone in. These days are surely going to come and we're going to see your return. Every eye will see. 
and Lord, we're going to be judged according to what we have done. And Lord, we're going to, our deeds are going to be laid bare before you. And I just pray that we start to build some treasure. We start to focus our lives on building treasure. That if we don't understand the Bible, that we'll start reading it properly and start devoting ourselves to it. If we don't understand, or if we're not praying as we should, Lord, that we'll start changing that, start getting a, a prayer devotion happening that's going to change our families' lives forever because they, as they start coming to know you as a result of our earnest prayer. And I pray if we're not game to speak with someone about you, that, Lord, you'll put it in our heart to speak to them out of compassion and out of love for their soul and that will speak with such earnestness that those people will just receive it as as words of love and i pray that you really start doing a real job of of transforming us deep within and each and every one of us here needs it and i'm the first to put up my hand and said i need it the most so lord please do a work in this place in this church and do a work in your people across this earth do a work in your people. Wake them up, Lord, so that we can start being effective because, Lord, it's serious stuff. You are certainly coming and coming soon. Mm. And we are not ready. So help us, Lord. I just pray that you be with us this week and that you watch over us, cover us with your precious blood and put your Holy Spirit in us and with us. Put your angels all around us and protect us from any harm or any accidents or any sicknesses, Lord. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. 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 Amen.